The second round is in full swing and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each day. The best part is that it's free to play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and as always, I am joined by the one and only Nick Horwat with a crazy shirt on right now. That's your Pittsburgh Hornets shirt, if I'm correct. Yes, it is, and it is actually also now one of my working Target shirts, So, because it's one of the few Thanks. shirts I owned that are red. I worked this morning, haven't changed yet. I'm actually half just waking up from a nap, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> So that Pittsburgh Hornet shirt, do you, do you want to tell any of the listeners why you got that Pittsburgh Hornet shirt or, or if there's a story behind why you got it or why you like it? Uh, there's not really a story. I think I just, I think it's a Steel City shirt. Yes. Unless you know the story and I'm forgetting it. It's just a nice shirt that I... I, I don't know. I was just, I was just inquiring. Uh, okay. Yeah. Cause I'm sure I got it, um, while we were living in Lawrence Hall downtown because Steel Probably. City isn't within walking distance. Uh, but yeah, it's just a cool Pittsburgh Hornets shirt. I believe, no, it doesn't have, oh, it does have the year on it. 36-37 from, I don't think that was their first year. Could be wrong. Probably I'm wrong. Might be their first year. But uh, if any, if no one knows, I mean, a lot of um, Hockey Hall of Famers, old school ones, played on the Hornets. Mm-hmm. Like, you can go back. Tim Horton, Leo Boyvin. Um, oh, at one point they had, like, multiple Hall of Famers. Look into their history. It's incredible stuff. They are multiple time. It was the AHL before the AHL, basically. Champions. They were actually a really good team. And they played at Duquesne Gardens, I think. <laughs> I'm just shooting off history yeah. that um, I'm not 100% sure of. So, We'll, we'll definitely have to uh, history check you and fact check yeah. you on that. But we have a really good episode for everybody today. Of course, we're going to continue our series of Penguins roster in review. Today, we'll have the bottom six that we have a discussion about. And then, of course, because it is a Thursday episode, we will have our shout-outs and call-out section. But let's start it with our roster review. Like I mentioned on Monday's episode, we went through the Penguins' top six. So if you want to hear us talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins' top six, how they fared in this previous season, how we think they should fare, some questions about next season, go back and tune in to that. That is episode 
53 of season two of the tip of the iceberg. But let's get it started in the bottom six by talking about somebody we didn't expect to be an integral part to the bottom six this past season, and that's Frederick Gaudreau. He scored two goals and 10 points in 19 games in the regular season. And you might be thinking, what do you mean he's an integral part to the lineup? That's not integral part numbers. And even you look in the playoffs, he had one goal and three points. Again, it moves the needle, but just not a whole lot when you look on the stat sheet. Now, when you look at the game and you look at the eye test and you look at what he does with his underlying numbers as well, that's where you get the Freddie Gaudreau, not just the regular mainline and mainstream numbers. Freddie Gaudreau, from the first game that he played for the Penguins this season, he had an impact. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't above and beyond. This guy is absolutely amazing. This is an amazing find. It was a very good depth piece. So what did you think of Freddie Gaudreau this past season? How much did he surprise you? And how excited are you for the potential of the Penguins bringing him back? Uh, he surprised the absolute hell out of me. But then again, you got to figure. Frederick Gaudreau plays very very productive in games that involve the penguins uh, but that being said yeah he scored two goals it felt like he scored 20 because every time he touched the puck it seemed like something was happening something positive and if you really think about it i mean okay three points in the playoffs at what was it 10 in the regular season he yep. played 19 games right in the regular yeah, season that's basically half a point per game what what are you complaining about there he's a third line player really a fourth liner but our fourth line is very etched in stone so kind of has to play the third line so for what it's worth half a point per game uh you'll take that out of your bottom six winger who uh filled in who started the season on the taxi squad went to the ahl for a stint um and is only playing in his only playing his what hundredth career game yeah you'll you'll take that every day of the week Honestly, even if he produced a little less, maybe not much less, but even a little less, I'd have been like, yeah, no, still a very solid, well-worth-it player. We went over it in our uh, 3Ms episode that I say we ought to bring this guy back into the same sort of role. The he's not, He might not be in the starting lineup right away, but in case of emergency, he's first guy in because that's what he should be. That's the type of player he is, and he's proving it. And hell, he's a good hockey player, and... I mean, I should let you talk for a little bit. I can go on for a little more, for a couple more hours. Yeah, you mentioned the 3M segment that we did a couple episodes ago, must sign, yeah. maybe sign, and and move on from. And we both said that you must sign somebody like Freddie Goudreau. If you like the team that you have, as Ron Hextall said he did, Freddie Goudreau is a big piece of that. Now, you, you could get a player that does the same things as him, but why would you do that when you can go out and get the player that did the things that he did? I mean... He was such a, re- a good deal for the Pittsburgh Penguins last year because he killed penalties, which is something that he hadn't done in the history of his career very much. And he did all of that and made that impact with a $700,000 mm-hmm. cap hit. I would imagine that goes up a little bit, especially because he's an unrestricted free agent. And considering the season he had, showing that he is an effective depth mm-hmm. piece and was an effective depth piece for the Penguins, maybe he goes out and tests free agency, sees what he can get, but... I wouldn't think that he would cost much more than a million dollars. And if he does, it's not going to be it's not going to be 1.5. And if it is, that's just because somebody bargained the price up. So it's again a very low risk, possible high reward move to bring back Freddie Gaudreau, especially if he can play on that third line with the next two players we're going to mm-hmm. talk about and be effective. It's very helpful for the Pittsburgh Penguins to be able to slot in a guy that is playing in a replacement level role 
but doing that above average. Yeah, and it's it's um, you mentioned the the money. Yeah, it's not like we'd be paying him obscene amounts of money to maybe get scratched because let's be real here, he's not like a franchise cornerstone or anything like that. He's just a guy that, no. um, you know, came up at the right time, produced at the right time, approved he can play in the NHL. So. You know, maybe you get one more season of work out of him, and then that's it. Happy trails. We move along because we have a team that should be advancing with uh, a younger crop coming up soon enough. So who knows? Maybe you re-sign him, and maybe he doesn't play at all this season because of that younger crop. Maybe they are ready for the NHL. Worst comes to worst, we sign him, and he doesn't play. How good the team is could determine that as well. I mean, if Frederick Goudreau doesn't play and we go on to win the Stanley Cup, let's say he doesn't play a single game. I just I don't care that much, really. <laughs> I mean, he's an integral part to the team this year. He's an important piece to have. He is not some someone you really focus on, but he is a piece. He's a cog in the machine, basically. He is, and he made it unnecessary to have Evan Rodriguez in the lineup. Yeah. And I, I know that Evan Rodriguez, again, also not a cornerstone to any organization, but Evan Rodriguez had found himself in the good graces of the coaching staff. So it was going to take a lot for him to be benched for the entirety of the playoffs when the team was fully healthy in favor of a guy like Freddie Gaudreau. So that shows you how much Mike Sullivan and his coaching staff really appreciated what Frederick Gaudreau did. So I definitely see the Penguins bringing him back. I'd like to see him back in the lineup. But as you also mentioned, there's a couple of young guys coming up that they could be taking that spot on the right side of his of the third line right wing, I should say. But let's keep moving to the other third liners that we talked about a little bit and kind of alluded to earlier. Let's start with Jared McCann, the man with the beautiful flow. And he is currently (laughs) in our Penn's poll this week, which is a head-to-head matchup between Jared McCann and Brandon Tanev for who had the best flow this past season. I Honestly, I voted Jared McCann, but we'll get into that on our Monday episode next week. But Horwat, coming into this season, you said that it was a show-me year for Jared McCann. Mm. What did he show us at the end of it all? Well, he showed us that despite being a little inconsistent, he can still shoot the damn puck. I mean, seven power play goals. You There was always the argument of, hey, should this guy be on the top power play unit? Eh, eh, I go either way on it. But, I mean, for 14 goals and 18 assists in 43 games, that's 32 and 43. You love to see it. Oh, big old plus 17. Yeah, no, he, it was a show-me year, and again, it sucks that the show-me year had to come in a shortened season. But mm-hmm. um, I think he proved to be worth something to this team. It's He's not putting up, you know, top-line numbers, just but has the ability to play there, for sure, if, you know, if these injuries decide to persist. Um, his home isn't exactly the first line or second line, but he could definitely do in a pinch because he can score. He has proven to have a stellar shot and doesn't take many penalties. I mean, only eight penalty minutes all season. He's on the ice for you. He's going to be putting in power play goals as well. I think it's just a matter of finding that consistency again. If I can just remember, look at it. I mean, he was fairly consistent all year, actually. It just maybe didn't seem like he was on very on at some times because of his injuries. But... You put that to the side and you realize this kid had a hell of a year and mm-hmm. he's got another year left right or two years or something he does have another year left on his contract and the big thing i i saw this season was he did find a little bit more consistency yeah. he wasn't 
he wasn't somebody I would call a consistent goal scorer along the same lines as of Ryan Rust, but he did find a little bit more consistency, whereas last season he had that 22-game right. drought to end yep. the season. And there was a big question about Jared McCann. He was the only player retained from that god-awful third line in the Toronto bubble. So there was some pressure on Jared McCann, whether you want to believe it or not, to come out here and prove that he is an important part of this team. There were people that didn't think that he was going to come back after last season. They didn't think the Penguins were going to bring him back, and they ended up bringing him back, and they're lucky that he, they did. He was huge on the first power play when Malkin was out. That's where he had half of his goals this season, mm -hmm. and he's only 25 years old. I think that he has shown that he's a really good depth piece, and the Penguins love having Jared McCann simply because they can say, all right, we need a center, you can play center. We need a winger, you can play winger. First line, second line, third line, he fits the mold of Mike Sullivan's system, which is basically you have two pillars and everybody else dances around them wherever we need them to go. And Jared McCann fits that mold perfectly, being able to play up and down the lineup, left and right on the ice. And I think that's something that Mike Sullivan really appreciates. Now, is there another step forward for Jared McCann? I believe so. I think there's even more consistency that we can see from him. He's only 25 years old, so he's heading into the prime of his career right now. I think we there, there's another stone that is still unturned for Jared McCann. And will it be unlocked with a full season next to Jeff Carter? I don't know. What say you? I think so. I mean, yeah, I definitely think so. He can do it. We've seen it now. We He's shown his consistency. Maybe he needs to stay healthy um, for a whole season to really get stuff going for him. But um, for what it's worth, I mean, 32 points in 43 games is very good, especially for the position he was in at uh, – on the third line bumped to the second for a moment i think i'm not remembering the season very well right now but um he's a solid player and i mean he's a sue st marie guy so we know mike sullivan likes him all right i'll have to start calling you pierre going back to the the, the junior it's just listed on his story. hockey reference <laughs> i i totally forgot about it so let's talk about Jeff Carter, because we, we did bring him up there, and we know Mike Sullivan might like Jared McCann because he's from Sault Ste. Marie, but we know one thing Mike Sullivan likes, and that's his pairs. He likes pairing up certain people and keeping them together for chemistry's sake, and Jared McCann and Jeff Carter were together ever since Carter was acquired from the Kings at the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. And Carter, who easily was the story of the last little quarter of the season— yeah. And the story of the postseason for the Pittsburgh Penguins, he had nine goals and 11 total points in 14 games to end the regular season. Of course, including his four-goal performance in the penultimate game of the season against the Buffalo Sabres, as well as the lone goal in the final game of the regular season. And then he followed it up in the postseason with four goals and five points in six games. The second leading scorer for the Pittsburgh Penguins behind only Evgeny Malkin in the playoffs. <laughs> Listen, Jeff Carter came in. The question was, can he still play center? Because he was playing wing in L.A. Well, guess what? He went straight to center. He found success on the second line when Evgeny Malkin wasn't there. He found success as the third line center when Evgeny Malkin was there. Him and both of his torn ligaments. And he already built a great rapport with McCann. You go back to that inside Penguins hockey or in the room where they were talking the first day of practice about who's going to play wing, who's going to play center. And you can already tell there's a little bit of a rapport there. They both understood each other a little bit. Jeff Carter has one year left at $2.6 million. It is a great value 
for a really good depth player, a really good leader for the Penguins' bottom six, which behind him is very, very young. Yeah. I mean, you have Brandon Tanev, who's 29, and we'll get to him. But other than that, they're all 26 and below, Mm -hmm. 25 and below. I'm not remembering off the top of my head the age of Zach Aston Reese, but they're relatively young players behind Jeff Carter, who's, what, 36 years old? So... Carter, you can't say enough about what he brought to the Penguins at the end of the season. What do you think he's going to bring to the Penguins next season in his first and possibly only yeah. full year with the squad? Um, could that rapport have been there because they're both Sault Ste. Marie guys? <laughs> Sorry. It, I I actually, if you look at the video, you see me flip to Jeff yeah. Carter's face and act and like <laughs> to his hockey reference and laugh because it's, I, it's there. Um. I lost my train of thought entirely, but yes, he's <laughs> definitely going to be well worth it. I mean, people are talking about this whole protecting him for the expansion draft. I, I, there's a rant I have on why we shouldn't. When we get to the expansion draft talk, when we get there, I'll have that rant. For now, I'm leaving it be. But yeah, he is a very important player. He's proven to be um, well worth every dime that we're half paying him. I mean, the, the whole salary retention makes it even better. Yeah, he's 36. Okay. Yeah, we were all wrong with the whole Patrick Marlowe comparison. Okay. He's a goal away from 400 in his career. Clearly, he's done something right over the years. And honestly, the way he was scoring in that Buffalo game, it seemed like he was going to get it that night. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, he's a he, Despite that all that, he is older, so you do have to keep a pretty close eye on him because older players especially ones that have kind of run their run their mileage up the way Jeff Carter has I mean a ton of years in the playoffs a ton of hard years in LA I mean that's a not a grimy team but it's a heavy team and he was one of them always plus he played for Philly before then so you really just got to keep an eye on that structure and just hope the wheels don't fall off no he is an older guy and that um you know just treat him like you do veterans hope that Things stay put together, but he's a guy that, if shit hits the fan, act quickly, because you don't want uh, old man River out there. Yeah, he hasn't played on many finesse teams when you're talking about his former teams being the Flyers and then the, the champion LA Kings, but now being on a finesse team with the Pittsburgh Penguins, he has shown that he still has his legs. Mm-hmm. He is still He still can move out there really well, and he still has that scoring touch, of course, nine goals in 14 games in the regular season will show that. And of course, and also in the playoffs against a tough team to play against in the Islanders, he came up to the challenge very well. The one thing that I'd like to see is a little bit better face-off numbers from him. But again, he's 36 years old. His face-off numbers are what his face-off numbers are. And if you're going to complain about face-off numbers in their own right, it's tough. But a guy like him, I'm not really going to complain too, too much. Now, the last thing I want to ask about Jeff Carter is, we saw how important he was to this team this season when he came in, how important he was to the team in the postseason, especially with Evgeny Malkin. How important is Jeff Carter to the Penguins' success next season? You see, that's where it's iffy. I think to start the season, he definitely will be because Malkin won't be there because God knows how long he's going to be on the shelf. Uh, so Jeff Carter's going to have to step up as that second-line center again. <clears throat> Um, which we know he can do. It's just a matter of how long he has to do it for. Again, like I said, he's old. Yes, he has shown to still still have his legs, but, I mean, are we looking at a whole 82-game season next year? Do we know what's going on with all that? I mean... 
I would imagine the NHL wants an 82 game season. Yeah, with Seattle starting, you want an 82 game season to start. That that's always been the plan. Yeah. And and that's why they're also rushing the end of the playoffs. You see teams playing back-to-back games every once in a while trying to ever have everything put together. But yeah, there there's going to be an 82 game season next year. So, you know, is Jeff Carter a guy that plays all 82? I mean, I would assume not, but that's just me. Um No, maybe Oh, no, not recently. Never mind. Yeah, I know the last season he had a lot of missed games due to an injury that he had surgery to repair. So I think it was his back, actually. Oh, okay, good to know. Because his 17-18 uh, his season as well, he only played 27 games. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you keep, you just keep an eye on him. He's an, he's an old man, let's be honest. We just got to <laughs> keep the eye on him. As for how important he will be, um, he'll be important for the beginning of the year. Malkin will come back and... He'll become more of a mentor, I would think, for our third and fourth lines, whatever they may look like. And I think it'd be sick to see him really be a mentor for a guy like uh, Sam Poulet, who could possibly come up and take the spot. Who knows how this all happens. But he'll be important by way of being the the real veteran presence on this team. Yeah, we have veterans in Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, But... Um, there's something to be said about the veterans that have been doing it for a long time but haven't had the spotlight, i.e. Matt Cullen, our cup years. Old guy, for sure. Uh, none of us knew who Matt Cullen was before he got here. Let's be real. If Unless you knew deep history about things, I mean, the fact that he's the one that lost the faceoff in that Carolina game that Malkin scored his hat-trick goal on, I didn't know that until I was watching video. So you're, the older guys that don't have the spotlight for for all these years that's a that's what i really think of as like a veteran player but yeah so he's going to be a veteran presence in the locker room for sure and you just hope he's got to be the right veteran presence that isn't the patrick harlow type yeah calling jeff carter an old man at 36 years old i think 35 year old Evgeny malkin wants a word with you that's fair you're, you're right <laughs> well not 35 yet he will be 35 and but. plus i mean he, jeff carter will be 37 come the turn of the new year so yeah, he's not a spring chicken, but he still showed that he has legs like one. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to watch, and I think he is important, if not only because he's going to be that second-line center again at the outset. At least everything appears to be in that fashion. But I mean, you saw how important it was for the Penguins to have four solid, solid centers. In the middle. Yep. And that's what they're going into next season with once Evgeny Malkin gets healthy. So that's going to be huge for them, especially – which over the offseason, we will talk about what the Metropolitan Division is going to look like when it reunites The Metro together. and not and the man, East. Yeah, and man, it, it doesn't get any easier. Like, it, it really doesn't. We so welcome back We'll Carolina. definitely get into that in later episodes. But let's get into the fourth line. Let's start with Zach Aston-Reese, who seems to be the, I don't want to say least liked, but he, he's the least liked of the three. And if for anything else, it's because the other two were pretty big fan favorites, but Zach Aston Reese had nine goals and 15 points in 45 games. As we talked about on our three M's, that's a career high in goals for Zach Aston Reese. There's a very high possibility that he is on Seattle's watch list. And we both said that we would resign him because he's a restricted free agent. But what are you thinking, Horwat? How, how dangerous is losing a guy like Zach Aston Reese from that line? Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting question. I mean, he does all the things you don't notice correctly. That's the beauty of him. Um, 
he's not going to score every goal. He's going to coast with his 15, 16, 17, 18 points per season. It's He's not going to be get, going out there getting the game winners, the power play goals, the fancy stats. He's just looking at, you know, blocking the puck, getting it out, getting in deep, and, you know, the, he, he's looking into being the Corsi god, if you will. I mean, it's... I mean, damn it, for the second straight season, he led that stat, or whatever it was, right? I'm not sure which stat you're talking Jay about. Jay Fresh tweeted about it. He said it's like for the second straight year. Because the Selkie noms came out, people every year always ask now. Ah, yes. Hey, should Zach Aston Reese be up for the... Se-? No, he shouldn't. <laughs> no, it's not the way NHL awards work. It's popularity contest. Mm-hmm. And clearly, Aston Reese is not that popular because he doesn't score the goals. So, we now bring it back to how much of an effect he had if he leaves i don't think it's the worst situation in the world if he's if we lose him one way or the other um because yeah you do lose you do lose a lot of defense mm-hmm. but it's not i'm not saying it's it's hard whenever he is the top of what i'm trying to get at here because yeah you know you always say oh you can just find another one he's the top though can you because a lot of times you lose a guy that's like you know, fourth or fifth, you got four options above them to choose from if they're free. But yeah. he's the top, so it would be hard. But I'm not—I don't want to say he's replaceable, but you can definitely find someone to fill the hole. You, you, there's always people that are probably going to score more goals or have more offensive abilities. There, there might even be better penalty killers than Zach Aston Reese. But what he does at five on five is seldom matched in the NHL right now, and that's mainly because. He doesn't really focus too much on, on scoring the goals. Now, he did lead that line in goals this season, but I think you take Zach Aston Reese away from that fourth line, you take away a dimension that changes the style of play for them. I think Brandon Tanev is the motor that runs the engine that is the Penguins' fourth line, and Teddy Bluger fills it really well, but I think Zach Aston Reese is the one that brings it together and kind of leads the way as far as defensive zone play and as far as offensive zone setting things up because you have Tanev who's a a water bug just flying all over the place Teddy Bluger is puck possession but so is Zach Aston Reese so I think Aston Reese is very integral in that sense and I do think because we saw over the season Seattle was in Pittsburgh an awful lot to do their scouting that's because there's gonna be options Mm -hmm. to take from the Pittsburgh Penguins it's not like last expansion draft where Vegas didn't need to send scouts because they knew what was going to happen. They knew who they were going to get. It's just a matter of negotiating. They don't need to scout. This year, they were in Pittsburgh a lot because there's a lot of options and there's a lot of different ways the Penguins can go about protecting certain players. Zach Aston Reese has to be somebody that they were there to look at. And I think it's going to be... I I wouldn't be surprised if he went. Hmm. I I really wouldn't. I know a couple weeks ago I said that He's not a player that I don't think moves the needle as far as popularity, but who knows what Ron Francis and the Kraken are going to do. Are they trying to you know, get the big names? If that's the case, I think Zucker would be a little bit higher on their priority list, or are they going to play a certain style of game? And if they're going to play the game that Zach Aston Reese fits into, you mentioned he's the best in the league at what mm-hmm. he does. So if you want that, that's an easy decision right there because I also don't think there's a chance that the Penguins protect them. Oh, hell no. Hell no. It's just hard because um, my thought process always is because I've done expansion drafts about a thousand times on NHL, um, on EA's NHL. So I'm always 
getting screwed by the cap in that situation. Because I'm not, because I'm always just taking the big best player available from each team, not really worried about the money until it's the end. And I'm like, oh hell, I'm eighty million dollars over the cap. So who knows, like where Seattle's going to be in that situation? Because Aston Race, I mean, when do contracts, when do free agent contracts get signed? Just at any point now. Um, you can sign with your team. Okay. Yeah, unrestricted period starts after the expansion draft restricted obviously you can sign them i mean you have the you have the the rights right now to negotiate okay so. so in that situation then you have to figure you'd have to figure they're gonna wait until the the expansion draft is over before we start talking with aston reese right i would imagine see here's the thing if you sign that contract you're signing into existence something that exists that the Kraken can take. So I would think that they don't sign contracts before. That's that, what I'm saying. Yeah. I might be completely wrong. I would, I would hold on. I would I too. Yeah. Ron Hextall. I, that's what I'm make them think a little bit. Yeah. More. That's what I'm getting at here. Make them really think about it because let's say they take the RFA that needs to be signed. Well, now you got to figure the money out. You'd have them. I mean, Vegas did a great job of, signing those guys and then just trading them away and saying this isn't our issue we'll take yeah. it we're taking other better players so who knows what seattle's gonna do with all that i feel like there's gonna be a lot less trading done with seattle because of how vegas turned out in their first round in their first year so seattle might get a little screwed there but for what it's worth yeah you take the guys that are out of at the end of their contract and now you got a whole nother not situation but just a whole other step to getting that player on your team um, yeah, the Penguins definitely should hold off on signing them just to make uh, Seattle really think whenever they get here because do you want the guy who doesn't have a contract or, I mean, a high-priced guy because those are probably your two options. Yeah. Because, I mean, now here's the other do they want to take part. a depth piece in? Hell, I can't even think of a name. Jesper Lilligren, maybe. I don't even know. Jesper Lilligren? Who cares? <laughs> who cares? <laughs> You want to take Chad Ruedel? Yeah. There, how about that one? Yeah, I mean, honestly, Chad Ruedel's not an awful, awful name because he does You're really right. well at what he does as well. But I think the question is also, yes, yeah, Seattle, they're not going to be able to do trades for trade's sake for people being like, well, we got to protect the guys we want to protect. That their Teams are not going to make that mistake. But here's the thing. Due to the salary cap being flat mm. once again next season, teams are in salary cap hell. And part of that is, hey, I'll take this player that has a higher cap hit to make you be able to do your business without worrying about that flat cap. But you're going to have to pay for that. Okay. And that's where if the Penguins are going to unload possibly a Mike Matheson or if the Kraken are going to take a guy like Jason Zucker with a five-plus million dollar cap hit, hey, you're going to probably have to fork over a pick or a prospect, and then we can give you that cap relief. Not to say that the Penguins are going to do so, because I, I think there's plenty of other ways out of that cap issue, and we will be discussing that a little bit on Monday when we talk about the defenseman, because I have some ideas. But with Zach Aston Reese, listen, he's a good player. I hope he comes back. I think he would sign with the Penguins at a pretty you know, nominal number, a pr- pretty low number, because of you know the goals are still what get the big bucks, and the points are still what get the big bucks. But I don't think it's lost on the Penguins organization what he brings to the table. Somebody else that, I mean, we don't have to worry about him signing a contract anytime soon is Brandon Tanev. He still has four years left 
at $3.5 million a year on his contract. He's currently 29 years old, finished this season with seven goals and 16 points in 32 games. So once again, half a point a game player for Brandon Tanev. He did only have one point in the playoffs, but that was a huge game winning goal in game three to give the Penguins their only series lead in the 2021 playoffs. He is a fan favorite. He is on t-shirts all over the city. What do you think about Brandon Tanev's season this year? Year two of that deal that you say you're taking season by season. I would think through two years, we're still pretty happy. Yes, we are still very happy. The official returns on year two is good. Again, another good year. We love to see it. Led the team in hits for the second straight year by a long margin. A big old margin. Um, The numbers may have faltered a little, but I mean, then again, that's what happens when you only play 32 games of a 50 six game season wow he really missed that much time it didn't feel like he misses that much time because every time he plays he's you know he's there you know he's playing the game but 32 games out of 56 oh he missed a lot of time and it just doesn't seem like it but yeah uh another successful season and now the grade now the grading report uh goes into year three welcome to your junior year buddy It goes into year three for Brandon Tanev, and he had a little bit of an experimental phase in his sophomore season because with the Penguins because, you know, you see the, the headshot and all the crazy, crazy gifts and images of him. Of course, him chirping the Boston Bruins in the one game, him slinging down mustard on the bench, his mic'd up playoff performance, his OT goal, or not OT goal, that may as well his late been. third period goal. It might, it might as well have been. It felt like an OT goal in game number three so yeah he is a fan favorite he is i i I would say a little bit crazy he makes you seems a little bit crazy on he makes you forget that people really hated the signing at first he really makes you forget that and that's kind of what he was supposed to do because when you see a player make a sign or when you see a gm make a signing like that you're thinking well because you look at the it's the price tag of three five Okay, that's not bad. That's fine. That's a that, that that's a good price for Brandon yeah. Tanev. It was the, it was six the six years, years and, fourth liner. and the modified no trade where we all went. Hold on, <laughs> what are we doing here, Jim? Um, but each year, uh, Tanev has proved himself to be a a fan favorite and be um, at least kind of worth it, making you forget that he's kind of stuck here. And if the wheels fall off, we're kind of screwed. But who knows? Again. This is all future talk. For now, again, year two. He passed He passed year two. He's going into year three, and we expect more of the same. I wonder what crazy shit he'll have next year because uh, the uh, the headshot is – he did the same thing. It was just a little more exaggerated this year with more open eyes and longer hair. So year three, uh, let's uh, hope for some more fun because he's a fun player. You know, whether he's scoring or not um, – He's having fun on the ice, and he is being an effective skater. It's the most you can ask for, especially from a fourth-line guy who's doing his job correctly. Mm-hmm. He's got it. He knows what he's doing. Yep, so definitely on Penn's Media Day at the start of next season, that'll be something to watch out for, the Brandon Tanev headshot. But one last question I have before we move on to Teddy Bluger to round out this segment. For Brandon Tanev, do you move him up in the lineup to start next season? Uh, I think you might have to because of the... What's it called? Because of the Malkin injury, you might just have to do some moving and shaking around. 
I mean, uh, it's hard. I mean, we're having this discussion with the assumption that nothing else really changes in the offseason other than yeah. someone gets scooped up from Seattle, but we don't know who really it's going to be yet. So these are hard discussions to have because, I mean, we have a new management regime. They could want to rebuild from the top down. But, again, we'll just have to wait and see. For now, I would say you probably have to do a little bit of moving and shaking because of the Malkin injury, and he's a guy that can do it. He's the one guy on that line you can really kind of place anywhere, and he'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, With him, it's very interesting because we don't know what it would look like for him on a top six role with this team. We don't know if he had an extended period of time with Malkin once he returns, or if he had an extended period of time with, say, Sidney Crosby on the first line. We don't know what it would look like. Would the goal numbers go up? Probably, because you're playing with somebody of the caliber of Sidney Crosby, and he just seems to do that with everybody he plays with. But would it work is the question, and we don't necessarily know that. We know Brandon Tanev is a grade-A fourth liner and fits in perfectly on the Penguins' current fourth line as it stands. We know he is the gel that puts that together. We saw that in the games that he missed. Teddy Bluger and Zach Aston reese weren't bad, per se, whenever he was out, but they were not nearly as effective as they were as a line until Brandon Tanev was able to return. What I would also like to see a little bit, maybe, is going into that season, we know McCann and Carter are going to be together, and I don't want to throw Gaudreau under the bus at all, but maybe look at what Brandon Tanev does on that line with those guys. I don't know if his speed and his Wiley Coyote-esque behavior on the ice, if that opens anything up for McCann and Carter, who were both sharpshooters. So I'm not sure. Brandon Tanev doesn't bring all that much scoring touch, right. but he brings everything else at a 1,000% level. And that's why the Penguins fans love him. And that's why year three, I'm excited for Brandon Tanev. And it's taking a lot for me to not go get the gold Brandon Tanev jersey. Um, one reason could be that they're just like sold out. <laughs> believe that is believe me, true. Megan has looked. They are sold the hell out. And for good reason, <laughs> obviously. For the reasons we just said. Mm-hmm. The fans love him. Yep, so maybe I'll just have to settle for that uh, Andy Warhol-esque shirt that is going around of Brandon Tanev. But let's talk about Teddy Bluger because he is a restricted free agent this offseason. We are very much a Teddy Bluger-loving podcast as we have loved him the past two seasons. This year, he continued his role as a solid fourth-line center for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but also showed little spurts of being a very confident and very convincing third-line center for the Penguins whenever there were injuries. He played pretty well in those third-line center minutes and in those third-line center matchups, and it seemed that he added more of a scoring touch this year, and you have mentioned several times on the podcast that it seemed like he filled out a little bit as well. A little bit sturdier this season, a little bit harder to knock off the puck. So, Horwat, why is Teddy Bluger so integral to the fourth line and to the Penguins' future? Not even next season, but going forward, why is it important to bring back Teddy Bluger and lock him up maybe for, for three or four years? Well, because you weren't afraid to lock up Brandon Tanner for six. But um, Different regime, though. St- but we see how it's working out. That's true. So, uh, because uh, a regime was not afraid to lock up another fourth-line player for six. But this one, you kind of know. When you really think about it, the idea of you know protecting Teddy Bluger or... Um, 
giving him a good contract is it's half asinine really like you're telling me we're going to be protecting a fourth if you in a vacuum you're telling anyone you're protecting your fourth line center for the expansion draft you're either losing your mind jim rutherford is your general manager or you're the new york islanders those are your only three (laughs) options there yeah whereas now it's we are option number four where it is teddy it is teordis it's I mean, sure, he's not putting up a ton of... Did you just say Teordis? That's his uh, birth name in, in Latvian. I think it's Teodorus. Teodorus, whatever. I'm not, not Teordis. Whatever, I'm not looking at it. Um, but it's it's Teddy. It's the guy that very, very much improved his scoring touch this year, despite it being a shortened season, who also got an injury. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, I... It's very wild the way we talk about a fourth-line center on this team. Especially this team. Yeah. Again, we're not the Islanders. We're not the Kings. We are this team, the Penguins, who are who have been recently built on finesse, speed, and that's not to say Teddy Bluger doesn't have these things, but he's still the fourth liner. That's that you know, much like um, Aston Reese and Tanev last season, all squibbed in a, a Selkie vote somewhere hmm. because one Pittsburgh writer wanted to be a jackass. But good for them. They, I mean, it's not like these guys don't deserve it. The underlying numbers of the the metrics and all of the Corsi numbers of the word I always forget because I'm not good with it. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. The Jay Fresh thing. They're all very positive in their defensive numbers. It's, it's the nuttiest thing, and it's hard for me to explain because I don't understand it. But it's quite fun watching him play. And knowing that he's able to score offensively and put up multiple shorthanded goals. I mean, he's an offensive threat with a man down. Hell, two men down, he is still an offensive threat. So, yeah. No, he is vastly important to this team. I'm trying to look up. He had seven goals and 22 points in 43 games this year, but I did want to look up how many of his goals were shorthanded. Three. Uh, three of his goals were... Yeah. Three of his goals shorthanded. So... Almost half of his goals coming at a man disadvantage. Yeah. That is something that is not taught, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. That is something that is inherently within a person to be able to get shorthanded opportunities and to be able to bury them at a level that Teddy Bluger did this this season. So three shorthanded goals, seven total goals. He had a little bit more of a scoring touch, I think, even though it doesn't really necessarily show with just seven goals. He was much more of an offensive threat, as was this entire fourth line. So, yes, Teddy Bluger is integral. Yes, Teddy Bluger is somebody that I would not only consider protecting, I would demand protection for a guy like Teddy Bluger. And I think a lot of people would tend to agree with that sentiment, especially, hopefully, Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. So he's a huge player for this team going forward. You can't have four great centers without a good fourth line center. And Teddy Bluger does that. I'd like to see his total numbers matched up with every other fourth-line player on the other 30 teams that played this season. I would venture a guess that Teddy Bluger is top five in at least 90% of statistic categories, whether that be regular statistic or analytical statistics. Analytics, so, that's the yes, word. he's important for the Pittsburgh Panthers. You also have to figure how many teams have a fourth-line center that's consistent is actually in the lineup for the full slate of games. Because mm-hmm. you think of your fourth line, and more often than not for most teams, it's 
call-ups because of injuries. It's um, the guys that are playing eight minutes a night, if that. It's the guys that are the grinders. How many teams deploy their fourth line the way the Penguins do? I mean, obviously, we, like I said, the Islanders do. But how many teams' fourth lines, let alone their fourth line center, like I said, out are in there every game, are penciled in every game because of how good they are and not just filling in for an injury or are only there for eight minutes? No, he's yeah. Basically, what you're asking is the Penguins deploy their third and fourth line equally. Yeah. They they each get roughly 12 minutes a game. How many teams do yeah, that? Yeah, Teddy averaged 14.51 this past season. So there you go. Obviously, it's a lot of penalty kill time loaded in there, but you know, still. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. No, not many teams can say they do that. So, that is our total roster in review for the Penguins' bottom six. If you want to look at all of our forward roster and review, of course, last episode we did the top six, so tune into that, season two, episode 53. And then you can obviously always re-listen to this one, season two, episode 54, where we talk about the Penguins' bottom six. But we're going to take a quick break right now when we return our shout-outs and call-outs to finish out the week. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook app to get started on your sports betting career. Horwat. Shoutouts and callouts, our favorite segment of the week. Who are you shouting out this week? Hey, I am uh, con- continuing my music stuff. I'm shouting out Record Store Day. That is this weekend and next weekend. If anyone who doesn't know what Record Store Day is, uh, basically a bunch of musicians from around the world uh, put out vinyls, old school stuff. We're talking the big black plastic, although nowadays a lot of them are colored. I actually just bought a purple Pearl Jam one yesterday. That's awesome. Shout out to the Target exclusive stuff. Um, but yeah, record store day where basically a lot of people like to reissue, um, anniversary prints. Um, not too many people put out new stuff, but it's just a time to, you know, get good deals on records. It's big for the collectors. Um, and if anyone around the city knows that does this, Jerry's records in Squirrel Hill, a lot of these places like to do little fun, little like activities or discounts or giveaways. Jerry's Records and Squirrel Hill gives away a giant box of 100 for free. You don't know what's in it. Um, I remember me, our buddies Tyler and James did it one year, and we just kind of dug through. We had 300 records of just... It's usually a lot of garbage, like, let's be honest. It's a lot of stuff you're not going to listen to, but it's 100 free records, so you flip through it. Um, they do... Jerry's does purposely put in a couple of good ones in each one, so you're not getting, you know, nothing. But yeah, so go out, get yourself a record on this Saturday or next Saturday, and have some fun with it, man. Get back into music because the industry took a hit this past year. And not saying these guys could use it, but um, it's a ton of fun, and it's something that huh, it's a nice little celebrated two-week holiday, basically. Yeah, not necessarily the musicians. Oh, these stores. Hurting, yeah. But these stores, the record stores. I don't remember. Uh, 
does Ides also Ides downtown sell records? Yes, I'm sure. and actually, I think his name was John Ide. Recently, just passed away from COVID. Um, yeah. last month or so. Yeah. So yeah, these places um, usually always do something. Yeah, Ides is right outside of the, the strip. Yeah. If you're heading towards the Strip District from downtown, it's right there on, I believe, either Penn Avenue or Liberty Avenue. I believe it's Penn. I think it's the one right. It's like right before. It's right past that bridge. Yeah, it's on Penn. Yeah. And then, of course, anybody who knows the Pittsburgh area knows the exchange also sells records, too. So, I mean, what somebody what what people don't know about both me and you is we do both collect vinyls. We do both really enjoy vinyls. Of course, my girlfriend got me into it. You got yourself into it a lot longer (laughs) than I did. So definitely go out and support these local record stores because they did take a big hit. I, I, I think you're a hundred percent spot. on. And if, for what it's worth, I'm sure if you go find, I know that the, uh, the quack report guys are big into music. Obviously the bar down breakdown mm-hmm. guys are, I'm sure they may even um, discuss a little more. Wow. Actually, cause the quack report guys are from Canada. I don't know what record store day is like in Canada. So yeah. questions. Now I have to ask them stuff, but yeah, go out, buy yourself a record. I'm personally looking for the reissue of Lincoln, Lincoln Park's Meteora. So that's like the only one that I'm still. It's always, there's always yeah. all kinds of records, but then it's always a bunch of stuff I'm not really too interested in, but it's still just a fun thing to do. Yeah, I am still looking for any of the AJR records on vinyl i know they used to have them i haven't been able to find them but i'm definitely looking for them now so i'll keep an eye out for that and if you Uh, anybody else sees one out there uh please point me in the direction but my shout out for this week goes to the montreal canadians (laughs) who swept the winnipeg jets very easily in a four to nothing obviously as any other sweep is but the montreal canadians were the last canadian team to win the stanley cup back in 1993 and are halfway to ending Canada's losing streak. Now, this is something, as Americans, we do like to poke fun a little bit. You know, Canada's sport, as they say, hasn't won a title in the 21st century. The Canadians are in the semifinals. There was going to be a Canadian team in the semifinals regardless. I don't know if anybody expected it to be the actual Canadians. I think Toronto was most people's inclination. Edmonton, more so than that. Shoot. 95% of ESPN reporters thought Winnipeg was going to win that series. So the Canadiens being able to be the team that are there, Carey Price being playoff Carey Price, Cole Caulfield being an extremely fun little scamp on the ice, and your boy Tyler Toffoli (laughs) being clutch as only Tyler Toffoli can be. So shout out to the Montreal Canadiens. You've come very far. You're in for the biggest test of the world whenever you get the winner of this Vegas Colorado series. But hey, the Habs were able to get the CN Tower to be lit up in blue, blanc, and rouge. So it is something I never thought I'd see. So shout out to them. Uh, Great accomplishment so far, but still only halfway to to glory. Yeah, you, I was going to mention the CN Tower because holy hell, man. Really? That's how, (laughs) is that how starved Canada is for a chance at the cup, by the way? Because the, the team that Montreal beat, their home city, their pride and joy building basically it's kind of like the mm-hmm. ppg building or the steel tower in pittsburgh Th- their iconic tower went yeah we're gonna go red white and blue <laughs> for the Cana- for the canadians during pride no less it wasn't a rainbow i mean during pride month so they've done something clearly if mm-hmm. toronto who i mean 
I don't know how heated that rivalry is anymore, but... Uh, I think the first round series kind of reignite the flames. Well, not enough, apparently. Reignited, not reignite. Reignited. Well, reignited. I don't either know. way, not enough, because the CN Tower said, yeah, we're going to support Montreal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. This, that's That was the wildest part to me, I thought. But yeah, no, good on the Canadians for uh, making me look wrong, as usual. Yeah. As usual. Yeah, me made me look right and you look wrong in that second round series so i'm always happy with that also a secondary shout out to the carolina hurricanes who officially once free agency starts this year no longer have to pay alexander semen the last year of his buyout was this season so they get two million dollars think about that for the past six years they've had two million dollars on alexander semen that's hey you know what the only thing i'm curious about now and you uh jogged my memory are the islanders still paying dpho well, you'll have to definitely check that, but I was happy to see that, you know, Cap Friendly is not only a great source when you're trying to do research, they're a great follow on social media. Oh, yeah. So definitely, that's where I found that. So definitely give them a follow on Twitter. Let's move on to cal- call outs. While you're looking that up, I'll, I'll yeah. present mine. I'm calling out the NHL, who is always the most called out entity on, on this show. But this time, I'm calling them out for the finding of Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Boston Bruins. They find that man $25,000 for the most polite objection I've ever seen to bad refing. Like, there is so much worse that he could have said about the refereeing following game five between the Islanders and the Bruins. And he basically said, yeah, I thought it could have been better. And in more words than that, he basically said, I thought it could have been better. He didn't say it was blasphemous. He didn't say it was god-awful. He just said... It'd be nice to see the calls that are getting called on us be called on them. And he called out the Islanders for trying to pretend they have this clean reputation when they do the exact same things that the Bruins are doing, getting penalties. Now, we've mentioned several times since the playoffs have started, it's not a fair league. It, mm-hmm. It's not. Because referees are human. And we get frustrated. We certainly did in the Penguins Islanders series. Everybody gets frustrated with them. And... You know, sometimes you want to voice that frustration. And if you're in the NHL, though, that is the cardinal sin, especially if you're a coach, because 25 k for this, you have to add up all the other fines in the playoffs to get this 25 k And the amount of pain and suffering that has been caused by those other small nominal $5,000 fines, not even close to the, the two sentences that Bruce Cassidy spit out about the NHL officiating. So... Again, probably the most polite call-out of a refs that we could possibly see from Bruce Cassidy, and he gets 25K for it from the league. Yeah, the, the league has been on a heater recently with these damn fines, suspensions, NHL player safety breaching the news. How long is George Perro's contract? Is he? Can he just be gone? Like, I don't know who's making the decisions here. I don't know how this all works, but it starts with him, and as for the league finding people, yeah, what the hell? Like, just I, I just thought it was comical to see that he got fined twenty five thousand uh, dollars. It's nutty. Five times more than what the player got fined for, by the way. Um, yeah. And not only that, but like every time something like this happens, there's always the writers that um, say should, the refs should be made avail be given media availability, much like the NFL, yeah. so we can get some explanation behind this. But no, the NHL likes to protect itself, and it's. Perfect. There's nothing wrong with the NHL. Don't you forget that. Um, yeah, 
I wonder if the fact that the CBA doesn't cover the coaches comes into effect there because mm -hmm. a lot of the NHL player suspension is maximum allowable under the CBA. Is there a protection for coaches? I have to look into that. They're definitely not under the NHLPA CBA. So is there an NHLCA coaches <laughs> association that it's just know, a union. does that for them? It's just a I feel like they're in they're technically independent contractors as members of the, the team, but I'll have to definitely check in on uh, that. Oh, that's fair. Also, for the, an update on the Rick DPH thing, um, yes, they are still paying him. Fun, oh my God. fun fact, this year, this season, would have been the last year of his contract. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be paying him buyout for a while then. Yeah, he, they signed him until he was 39. Who signed this? Who signed this deal? <laughs> who, who dare sign this deal? That's unbelievable. They signed it in 2006, yeah, and it was supposed to last un until this year. Could you imagine Rick TPH was still, 15 years. still being on the Islanders? Well, we would have won that series. Um, also, yeah, and they are still paying him $1.5 million, off the cap at least. It's just salary. It's just salary. Um, until 2029. Oh, my <laughs> Oh, who's got who's got it better, him or Bobby Bonilla? Bobby Bonilla, because it's lifetime. Oh, it is nice. Yeah, Bobby Bonilla's was life is a lifetime contract. Uh, who is your call out to end the show? Unless it, unless it's whoever signed Rick DiPietro's contract. I believe it was Mike Milbury, but we'll uh, skip right past it now. Um, <laughs> did Mike Milbury do something recently? Like, is he still in news? No, but I'm glad oh, we brought okay. up Bobby Bonilla because mine does. Mine can connect to that because it is whatever the hell voodoo is going on in Pittsburgh sports right now. And it was kind of re-exemplified oh. with Cabrian, Key Brian Hayes missing first base on a home run. Missing first base. I first saw that. I heard it on the fan. Someone asked, like, you know, how often does this happen? I'm thinking, doesn't this happen, like, fair, not fairly often, but, like, every now and again? Nope, this is the first time in 50 years someone has missed a base yeah, and a home I, I was run. Say and I was a little taken aback by that, but like it's been 50 years. Okay, so it's been a while. Let's add on top the the Will Craig incident. Yeah. Not only that, for what it's worth, the Pirates uh, basically won a game because of a mishap at first base for the Marlins. Um, yeah, last weekend. So whatever voodoo is happening at the first down the first baseline at PNC Park is uh, it's wild right now, but. A lot of people have also been taking on the... There's just wild things happening in Pittsburgh sports in general with Jari's garbage pass and double overtime and then deciding to take it all the way back to the pouncy snap in January. Um, yeah, let's... Uh, can we get some incense in here and some of the... Whatever those things are called. the Like the Wiccans or whatever do the... You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we definitely need to perform an exorcism at first base at PNC Park because there's some demon there that's just playing tricks on mainly the Pirates, but it did, I guess, help in the Marlins situation. But Key Brian Hayes, kid got a bright future because, one, that was a hell of a home run over Walker Bueller. Mm -hmm. Great player. But he also had a mishap later in the game wherever he was trying to stretch a single into a double and just slid off the base and got, well, technically got his hand pushed off the base, but... Just not a great play by Cabrian Hayes, and all I can say to that is you were supposed to help the Pittsburgh Pirates, not join them in sucking. And unfortunately, I mean, he's still played extremely well since coming back mm -hmm. from the injury. And the Pirates, they're better than last season. They're much better than the dead last they were last season with 19 wins in 60 games. But 
you know, it, it's a process. And, and Pirates fans, it's been a process for 30 years. We had a three-year, you know, break from being bad, but they're not going to be good anytime soon. Just enjoy some players like Cabrian Hayes because he is fun to watch. Enjoy players like Brian Reynolds because he's fun to watch. I mean, Jacob Stallings is having a fun season. Adam Frazier leads the MLB in yeah. hits. Enjoy some of these players because while the team might not be playoff bound, they might not even be 500 baseball bound, they got some fun players. And and that's what I like to take solace in. And it might be a moot point because of how bad they are, but their best players are very, very fun to watch. And the team is fun to watch again. Remember the sickos, the Ottawa Senator sickos or whatever? I yes. mean, we brought it to Pittsburgh. We Pirate fans have been using that for every win, so... It's either the sicko's image or the pain image, which I need to get that on. That's on a shirt. I need to get that shirt. That's awesome. Yeah. So that that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Horwat, any last thoughts or comments before we send the folks home for the week? No, we're just we're striving through the offseason. We know how this works. It's gonna. We, we said at the beginning of the regular season that it was going to be a fun offseason. Now we're in the muck of it. So here we go. It's going to start getting interesting once the NHL playoffs end, but as of right now, we still have a lot to talk about. Tune in on Monday's episode as we do our roster in review over the Pittsburgh Penguins defenseman. But for right now, we say goodbye, and thank you very much for tuning in to the Tip of the Iceberg. Have a good weekend, Pens fans. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.